G'day everyone and welcome to another Bloody Movie Podcast. I'm Sean Coates, thanks so much for tuning in today. And we have another big episode today, a lot of movies to get through. And I'm rejoined once again by my spiritual co-host, Eric Tisher. Thanks very much for coming on again. No problem, Sean. It's uh, always my pleasure when I'm on the podcast. Yeah, it's always great. And um, episodes with you are one of the highest uh, listened to as well, so... It's good stuff. Yeah, it is good stuff. Maybe I could start my own ne- rival ne- podcast. Need to get the... Oh, no. You, <laughs> no, you wouldn't dare. I would dare. You would not dare. Uh, anyway, so we might as well get straight into it, Eric. Yeah, sure. So we, on Wednesday night, we went to a preview screening of Edgar Wright's new film, Baby Driver. Which So the film came out in the US last week, and it doesn't come out in Australia until the 13th of July, but yeah. we saw a advanced screening, and... Surprisingly, quite a few people there too. Yeah, was... actually, um, usually when we have uh, early screens, not many people hear about them. They're not very yeah, no. well advertised, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Like there was no advertising for it at the cinema in Shep anyway. Mm, like you... no, there wasn't. Only really on the website, it was. Uh... But it was strange because I went to an, uh, an early screener for Guardians of the Galaxy and there weren't that many people there. Oh, really? I thought people what? would have just been... Yeah, I'm not j- joking. I, I swear the cinema was not even half full. Oh, okay. Well, it was, I, it I, was guess really people, strange. I guess people here have jobs, though. Yeah, maybe people have jobs or maybe they can't be bothered watching a, another Marvel movie. I don't, yeah. I don't know what it is. Uh, well, we'll get... Usually they make a lot of money. Yeah, they do. Well, we'll get into another Marvel movie in just a moment. But so, what did you? Th- what were your initial thoughts of Baby Driver? Well, I thought Baby Driver was quite great. Originally, when I heard about the film, like I heard the to- all I knew was the title, and it was just another um, movie about a getaway driver mm. trying to get out of his uh, shady life, and and, and he has a, a love interest that he wants to be with. Mm-hmm. I find I found that Yuka um, Wright really made this quite a fun fun oh, drive. Yeah, it's really really fun yeah because uh, a movie like this is i guess has been done before many times but um edgar wright's style just really um brings out some character and charm in the film because the the film moves at the pace of the songs that are being played yeah that that's excellent i found it's, oh it's brilliant because from what i found out like watching uh like little featurettes online mm. uh edgar wright chose the soundtrack soundtrack before writing the script yeah i heard about that and like in most other movies, it would be gimmicky and it would kind mm. of be seen as pretentious or just like mm. it does it wouldn't work. But here, it I don't know how he did it, but it it's I don't know it's so crazy. Good. I, I heard when they were filming scenes that they were playing the music in the background mm, just yeah. to um, get the timing right. Yeah, John Hamm says um, when he uh, went for the role or like when he got given the role, he got given the script and a USB stick, and the <laughs> USB stick had the soundtrack on it. Mm. It's just awesome. And I heard the the lead, he enjoyed working on this movie the most out of everything else in his filmography. Yeah, well, he learned how to be a stunt driver, though. Like, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's another awesome. thing that's really impressive. With I mean, all this. you're working with Edgar Wright. I mean, he's, a, he's an awesome guy. Mm. Like, how quickly would you have had to say yes to this movie? You, you're going to be you're gonna learn how to stunt drive. You're going to be the lead in an Edgar Wright movie. Hell, if Edgar Wright's making it, I'll just join no matter what he's making. You'd say Ed, you'd be like Ed, and you'd be like, yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm in. So, but speaking of the performances, though, Ansel Elgort, like, he hasn't been in a movie for a while. Mm. Like, since, well, he's been in, he's kind of been trapped in that uh, YA novel bullshit, though, like, with Fault in Our Stars and the Divergent films and all that kind of crap. So I haven't actually seen many movies with him in it. But wow, he's, he's really good in this movie, and he brings... Oh, he's excellent. And he brings the, well, the charm that Baby has... Mm. 
Like, and, and something that I wouldn't have expected him to do in a movie ever, to be quite honest. Yeah, to, to be uh, just this really badass stunt driver. Yeah. And I don't know if that's him doing all the stunts. Yeah, it is. A lot of it is him. him. A lot Jeez. of it... Well, he learned, him. he learned how to do most of the... Like, a mm. lot of the more... Uh, the more complex ones were done by stunt drivers, yeah. but he did quite a few of them, though. Yeah, I, I really like that when an actor does his own stunts. Mm. It can be, however, because... Well, I haven't talked about The Mummy yet on this podcast, but I won't because that movie's not very good. <laughs> but sometimes when an actor wants to do their own stunts, it, stunts, it delays... It makes shooting go for a lot longer. Mm. Like the, Yeah, Tom Cruise likes to do his own stunts, Yeah, because he? that plane... I don't know if you've seen on any of the trailers for The Mummy, but there was that plane scene where it's like all zero gravity. Oh, right. Like, Tom Cruise really wanted to do that himself and like kind of took over the set and said, like, no, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. So, like, he took... A, what a, a, give him that much of a shit? Yeah, but making like, the, mind, the yeah, fucking mummy. But then, like, this action sequence that would have taken, what, a couple of days to shoot took a couple of weeks because Tom Fuck. Cruise wanted to do it all on his own. That would have cost a lot of money. Yeah, it did. And that movie... That what, <laughs> needed, tanked? Yeah, that tanked. Fuck. Pretty badly. No surprise. Mm. Uh, what? Not a great start to that cinematic universe. Bring, no, trying to bring back the Universal Monsters. Mm. But anyways, yeah, so Baby Driver... Like, for me... I was a little underwhelmed when I when I first walked out. Well, to be quite I mean, people did hype it up a lot. Yeah, it was being like hyped I was up so I, much. I was expecting a film with the story it had, except with the the style and the humor and the joy of a Edgar Wright film. Mm. That that's where it didn't disappoint. Like uh, technically, the movie is just great. Oh, Editing, that... sound mixing, soundtracks, all of that is just great. Who is Edgar Wright's editor, because I, oh, I, I want know. to find him and just say, just give him a handshake and a thumbs up, because he is just, fa- like, the work he does is mm. fantastic, and for this movie in particular, having to sync the sound, like, yeah, having to sync-, sync the soundtrack and, like, all the actions to... And some of those uh, um, long takes and tracking shots are just great in that film, yeah. like, the, uh, the opening... The opening um, credits, which opening is... credits. I mean, it's just Ansel going to get coffee, um, well, Baby yeah, going to get coffee going for, to get like, coffee, all but- of his bloody... Crime, crime mates yeah. or whatever and it's just it's just basically him crossing the street but he's dancing yeah. longer a song or the track that's playing whilst uh, the I'm pretty sure it was the um, lines of the song were graffitied on the on the walls oh, and a stuff. couple that of them great. were I'm pretty yeah, sure was, yeah that was really nice I mean, Edgarite even managed to make such a, a boring chore like getting coffee entertaining yeah definitely yeah and well I think a lot of the cast was other cast were pretty good too like yeah. Ke- Kevin Spacey's just Kevin Spacey yeah, but he's Kevin good Spacey. at that yeah he does that uh, that sort of uh, leader role or villainous role quite well mm. he's, he's been doing um, more uh, what villainous yeah well he's been lately. on House of Cards he hasn't yeah. really done many movies well House been... of Cards I guess he's sort of like an anti-hero because he's like yeah, the protagonist so, yeah. of that but you know he's quite villainous um, his character and, well, a lot of people, like, from what I've heard, like, a lot of people say this movie is perfect apart from Jamie Foxx. Like, apparently Jamie yeah, Foxx got on a lot of people. Jamie Foxx. I didn't think he was that no, annoying. I, I thought, thought he was fine. Yeah, I thought he was really Honestly. good. And to think that, like, there was, there's that scene. I leaned over to Eric when this happened. Like, oh, yeah. Like, there's that, that scene, annoyed that me scene in the trailer. There's a scene in the trailer where, like, uh, Jamie Foxx, I think, the, like, he's acting really sad or something. Or, like, mm. no, John Hamm's giving this massive speech. And then Jamie Foxx just starts clapping. He's like, woo! That's some Oscar shit right there. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, coming from the only Oscar winner at that table. <laughs> yeah, uh, figure that out. <laughs> yeah, 
the the characters and in the performances are really good. The the characters all have their own distinct personalities, and they um. What's really nice is that they sort of like behave with the with the name of their code name. Like, yeah. Um, there's, so there's uh, baby. There's buddy. There's darling. Yeah. And bats is yeah bats bats, bats is Jamie Fox. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure Kevin Spacey was Doc. Yes, Kevin Spacey mm. was Doc. Because, like, I, I was starting to think that Baby was actually his real name. Yeah, for, for a, a bit. bit. Because, yeah, when he was asked what his was, I was like, maybe his real name is Baby. Mm. Even the uh, the other criminals that were only had a, in the film for a bit got a bit of screen time. Like, uh, mm. what was it? Um, yeah, uh, Butch, Butch Sh- Asian in Home Invasion. Yeah, got his that code was, name. That guy was pretty funny. That's one of the best lines in the entire film, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Oh well, that that was a that was a really good gag because uh, after a uh, um, doc uh, introduces him to um, baby, the, the guy just blows a little kiss to the camera. Mm, it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, the body count in this movie is surprisingly high than I thought it was going to be. You thought it was going to be? I, I thought, thought the, it was going to be a little bit lower. I thought to the be body count. Honest. It was going to be higher, in, in all honesty. I thought it was going to be a bit more balls-to-walls action, but it, right. it wasn't. But I thought all the action scenes were so great that they didn't really need mm. to be more action. I, I kind of prefer it this way, that every action scene is so well made or it's got more meaning to it. It makes the uh, the scenes uh, more valuable to the film instead of just, you know, just throwing in a random action scene because the... Uh, all the action fans might get a bit bored. Yeah. Also, just on the maybe because the reason why I thought the body count was so high is because a lot of the a lot of the people that die in this movie die in spectacular fashions, though. Yeah. Uh, we won't. No spoilers for this, spoil obviously. It, but, the, but the character deaths are quite spectacular mm. when they happen. We're not going to name the characters, of no, course. No, 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 no. I'm guessing you would definitely recommend this, but it's Edgar Wright. Like, oh, definitely. The I man mean... hasn't made a bad movie yet. Yeah, and I, I don't mean, know if all of his films are solid, and I guess uh, Baby Driver is sort of like a good mix of a bit of hot fuzz and Scott Pilgrim in a sense, I find. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. Like, there, it doesn't have as many of the Edgar Wright-isms that like, a lot of his yeah, other movies have had. Yeah, it doesn't like, have as, of... as many of his uh, transitional jokes. Mm. Like, but, a, lot um, of the, a lot of the transitions are pretty good, though. Oh, a lot of the transitions are still great, though. Mm. Though I kind of, I kind of like that uh, Edgar Wright did something much more different from his other films with this one. Shows that he's uh, he's got range that he's mm, not yeah, going to make. It, he's not going to have the same style because uh, I find with uh, Wes Anderson, a lot of his films are quite samey. Not yeah. saying that they're bad, but like he doesn't really yeah differentiate broaden. his. He doesn't broaden his horizon. Doesn't differentiate from his uh, style. Yeah, I guess so. And I, I was just about to say, I wish um, Edgar Wright would do a Marvel movie. I'm like, oh, wait, no, that already, <laughs> that already yeah. happened and uh, kind of crashed and burned there. But the, then I remember the bits that he did do for Ant-Man were quite good. Like, you could easily mm. tell what Edgar Wright did True. and what the shitty director of, like, Bring It On made. <laughs> he probably, yeah, Edgar Wright probably did all the cool um, Ant-Man sequences yeah. or most of them I, I and, assume and like the the scenes where it's like Michael Peña is talking about like how he heard this from someone and it's like yeah, yeah that, that all that like it was yeah. Edgar Wright too alright yeah so I'm like I'm warming up to this movie a lot like I was a little underwhelmed when I saw it like when I initially saw it but the more I think about it I love it even more like especially now when I yeah. think of like the action scenes and like especially them syncing up to the syncing up to the action the music syncing up to the action so perfectly and also the um, the soundtrack's just great too. Mm. Like um, 
it was like uh, I guess it's sort of similar to Guardians of the Galaxy that they pick all the songs but um, yeah. I like how they didn't pick too many well known songs there was some and, and mm. then it was more like a soulsy yeah, kind of yeah like kind of old like 70 really nice. like a lot of 70s music as well mm. I'm pretty sure yeah but something that I was another something I was I was going to mention as well for a Sony film, I'm surprised they let iPods into this movie as well. I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised Baby didn't have like a Sony MP3 player listening to all this stuff on. I reckon. Uh, okay, so yeah, definitely see this. So yeah. it comes out July 13th. It's fantastic. It's a yeah, really I'd great highly, movie. I'd highly recommend. It's it's quite entertaining. This film. It's you know. It's sort of like. Um, I guess like the audience would just be really open in general. Anyone could watch this. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really have any kind of demographic, I wouldn't say. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's... that it has a solid demographic. It's quite open, which is which is really nice to mm. see in a film. It's not like strongly uh, hitting all the, uh, I don't know, tropes for a teen movie or anything weird like that. Or it's just it's not like a hard action movie. It's it's like a perfect split between comedy and action. It's like the perfect, uh, almost the perfect um, action comedy. Yeah. Sort of like similar to something like Evil Dead. I would, or Evil Dead 2, more um, more so like a great uh, horror comedy. Alright, well, let's move on. So, yesterday, uh, well, speaking of Marvel movies, what we were saying earlier, uh, yesterday I got to see Spider-Man Homecoming. Now, it's common, a lot of people believe that there has not been a good Spider-Man movie since 2004. Would you agree? Mm. Eric, Eric's just eating, so just give him a moment. Sorry, just eating he, he had the genius idea of eating biscuits on an audio podcast. I'd love to advertise biscuits on a podcast. It's my dream. Anyway, um, I don't know. Uh, 2004, that would have been Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2, Well, to yeah. be completely honest, I'm not a huge Spider-Man fan. Oh, okay. But I do like the originals. I don't know if it's because I like um, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi, you, you are wearing an Evil Dead shirt Yeah, I am right wearing now. an Evil Dead shirt right now. Um, but yeah, 1 and 2, um, from memory, I haven't seen them for a while. They were pretty solid films. Now, um, I remember seeing, when I see, uh, scenes from they, they're really quite different from, um, superhero movies now. Mm. Like, the, um, the humour's done a lot better, I guess. Although, um, I don't know, um, how true they are to the source material. I assume so, because Sam Raimi was a, um, a, was huge a big Spider-Man, Spider-Man fan. Yeah. Uh, explain I've... Spider-Man 3, then. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that was studio interference, though. Well, that, well, that was studio interference that made the director just give up on the project. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. I'm surprised that uh, Spider-Man Three wasn't directed by Alan Smithy, if, <laughs> if that was the case. Now, the Amazing Spider-Man films are uh, shit. I, yeah, they're shit. But I don't know how good they they are how? as uh, adaptations of source material. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because I um I remember watching one of them with a friend. I thought I think it was the the second one. I thought oh, fuck the, it, that was a se- stupid movie. The second movie. one is there, there's one. a there's a dumb performance by a Jamie Fox. Yeah, in well, there. from one okay, really good Jamie, Fo- a, a good Jamie Fox performance in Baby Driver to one that is on the complete other end Lee of that opposite. spectrum. Well, I don't know yeah. if it's um mainly his acting or it's just the the casting was just stupid. Oh, like, no. why'd you pick Jamie Fox to? Play the the nerdy scientist uh, oh, villain. And he, like, what he's, the fuck he's were they just, thinking? He's just doing the Riddler from Batman Forever in that anyway. Yeah, it seemed like it. It was oh god, it he's was so strange. And I'm pretty sure they Spider-Man. gave him like a weird lisp or something, just like mm. the the push, like the um, I don't well, know. He has the, the black... giant gap between yeah, his he teeth. Yeah, he's got the giant thumb. gap between his teeth. 
God, it was just, it was silly. And then how stupid was it when he falls into the pit, like, full of electric eels, that the electric yeah, eels... Yeah, the fucking... Yeah. And, and he and looks it, like Doc it, Manhattan. Yeah, and he fixes the gap within his teeth. Did you notice that? No, I don't remember oh, the movie very so well. Bad. I just remember it was just... You're lucky. It was fucking you stupid. Yeah. So anyway, so I actually rewatched the Raimi trilogy of Spider-Man uh, in preparation mm. for Homecoming, and... Look, the first... I, I actually didn't mind Spider-Man 3, but then I re-watched it, I'm like, eh, I can see why a lot of people don't like this. It's long, it's boring. Like, there is not re- there is not enough Spider-Man. And there are pointless scenes in Yeah, there, there are like pointless scenes. Scene. Yeah, go- the through the street. That was I, hilarious. I can't help but laugh when I see that, though. I think it's How so funny. This? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That's just that's just Sam Raimi trying to make uh, Toby McGuire look stupid, I guess. And he didn't already look stupid, though. Yeah, good point. As the honest trailers for the original Spider-Man trilogy said, it was like Toby McGuire, a man with the face of a puppy and the voice of a, of a smaller, less threatening puppy. <laughs> yeah, so I actually think Spider-Man One doesn't is is still a fun movie, but it just doesn't quite hold up. Nah, it doesn't. It does look a bit dated. Spider-Man Two, however, holds up really, really well. I heard that's the that's the favorite um, Spider-Man Two. Mm, yeah, um, it's really good. It has the best villain too, I think. Mm. I don't remember it very well, unfortunately. Uh, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock in mm. Spider-Man Two. He was great. But yeah, Spider-Man: Homecoming. This because Sony finally decided to like share their toys now, and they're finally letting uh, Spider-Man play with the Avengers, which is good for us as moviegoers. Uh, you may disagree because you're kind of you. You're... Yeah, I'm sort of against the whole serialization of films. Yeah, but I really, really enjoyed this movie. Like this, a lot of people are saying that. Well, maybe because I just thought Wonder Woman was a bit overrated. Um, feminists don't attack me. Okay, it's not. Yeah. Because, it's not because of the girl empowerment or whatever. It's just I, I, I haven't just... got to that yet. It's just because mm. there's a really, really dumb twist in that movie. And the was third... the dumb twist that ruined it, or did you just think? Oh, and the, the, the whole overall, the, the whole just... third act was pretty shit too. Because my my sister kind of described it as being so similar to Captain the oh, Captain it, America. It's ridiculously film. similar. And, to and then I had another friend that said the same thing. They're like, oh. Uh, look at this. It's set in World War Two. Oh, the heroes have to. Oh, sorry, World War One. My bad. Uh, the yeah. heroes have to fight. Um, or well, set in a World War. I don't know. It was mm. uh, Captain America. What was set in World War Two? Amer- Captain America was World War Two. One. Well, it's set in, in a World War. Anyways, and um, they what both have to fight a villain that becomes maimed or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's. And they. So... In, in, I'm pretty sure uh, an ancient relics involved. Mm. Yeah, the the uh, I Wonder Woman is pretty good for the first, yeah, for the first two acts, and then the third act it just divulges into a giant like CG over CGI bullshit fest. But look, that's for another day. We're talking about Spider Man Homecoming, and I want to try and get this out because it's only just coming out in the US this week, and I know a lot of the big critics have already put out their reviews for this. But look, I really like this movie. Like, it's it is easily the best Spider Man movie since since Spider Man Two. It's really? probably not as good as Spider-Man 2, though. Okay. It, But also, can we just say... like, you, Did you end up saying Civil War? No. Alright, well, uh, can I just say that Tom Holland is Spider-Man. He is the definitive Spider-Man. He is... So, so he surpasses Tobey Maguire? I don't know if that was sorry, hard to do. Oh, that, that would... No, that's an easy feat. You could have done yeah. that. But yet, Tom Holland just brings out... Well, first off, he was only... He's a lot closer to the age of Peter Parker... But Peter Parker's meant to be 15 in this movie, which I don't necessarily buy. Mm. And Tom Holland was 19 when he shot this. And no, I'm sorry, but no 15-year-old is that ripped. I don't care if you're <laughs> Spider-Man. There's no way. Oh, there probably are some 15-year-olds that ripped. 
They're just obsessive yeah. about bodybuilding, you know? Yeah, maybe. All but, they drink is protein powder. But he's really good. And someone, someone else that's really good, and something that Marvel just hasn't been able to get right, is their villains. Like, they're always... So you didn't think... They, um, they always just come off as afterthoughts. Wasn't that, you didn't think he was that good? No, I thought he's probably the best uh, villain oh. that Marvel have had like in the Marvel Cinematic but Universe. But you still had some problems with him. Yeah. No, oh, he doesn't... You don't see him as the Vulture... The, like, it's never said that he is the Vulture. He never calls himself the Vulture, which I oh. kind of... Admi- I, I like, and there's a few other, like... Uh, smaller villains from the comics that are like in his gang, like the Tinkerer, who's like another Spider-Man villain. He's right. there. There's Shocker as well, who um, uh, yeah, who's in it as well because he's Shocker because he has like this uh, like this like uh, glove that when he punches, it has like this electrical thing when he punches people. Right, and it what yeah. tases them or something. Yeah, yeah. And oh, Spider-Man also has Taser Web in this movie, which is. Because t- Tony Stark gives him this suit, and like he turns, oh, heard about he, that. Yeah, he hacks into like this. Like he finds out that like the thing is on training wheels mode. So he gets his friend, who also this friend, uh, Jacob Battleon, who plays Ned. I think he hasn't been in a whole lot. He plays Spider Man's best friend. Looking at the trailers, I'm like, is this guy? Is this guy going to be really annoying? Yeah, that's what I thought. No, he is really, really good in this movie, and he brings some pretty genuine laughs too. That's good. That's good because mm. um. It's just annoying having a support character that's just there for comedic and relief. And just completely useless. Mm. Yeah, but he's definitely not that. And, well, just getting back to Michael Keaton, yeah, he's probably one of the best MCU villains for that we've probably got since, uh, I don't know, yeah, well, that, when was, what was probably the last decent MCU villain? I'd probably say he's not as good as Loki, I'll just say that, but he is... Yeah, but Loki, I think they, they built him up with a couple of movies. He, yeah, so, he is so. definitely, he is better than, um, I reckon he's probably the... Next to um, uh, Ronan from Guardians of the Galaxy, who a lot of people say wasn't a great villain, but I I'd, think he was. I put I put him above uh, I put him above Ronan, and as well, yeah, like the so he has this suit and yeah, the suit that he has looks great, and it's a lot like the Iron Man suit, just with um. Yeah, uh, I heard that um they were gonna bring in like a suit like this that a uh, Spider Man had this optimized suit. Yeah, he did. I don't know if um, he has some like, people were annoyed because they thought that it sort of took away from. The simplicity uh, of Spider-Man? Yeah, well, not really simplicity, but, like, just, uh, like, the power of Spider-Man. Like, they thought, like, um, why would Spider-Man need all these uh, attributes when he has a super suit that, I don't know, just does the same thing, yeah. or maybe... Well, it is kind of a mix. This movie is, like, it's not necessarily... It's it's a Spider-Man origin story, mm. but it's finally an origin story where we don't fucking see Uncle Ben die, and we don't get the great power <laughs> with great with great power with comes great responsibility mm. is nowhere in this movie, oh, and thank, thank fucking fuck. God for that too. Well, is Iron Man like is he needed in the film? Iron I don't Man, know if he they just wanted um, Iron Man's Robert not Downey really in it that much. Yeah, that's uh, what I, that's what I'd tr- assume. So like they just want him in the movie like. Mm. Not real. I guess sort of a cameo role. Yeah, like he's he's in the sell start. More tickets. He he's in the start, and he is he's an ex machina at a, a couple of times, which is like ex- expected. Not the suit I guess for an example. Sorry, is that an example of an ex machina? Which one? Oh him well, the, 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 the bit the bit on the boat where like the boat's been sliced in half, and Spider Man's trying to pull it. That and then I think it's in the trailer anyway. You see Spider Man trying to no Iron Man trying to help out there. Iron Man's an ex machina there. Mm. And like puts the boat back together, which <laughs> it's not really a spoiler, even though that's like the end. That's like the hero. end of the second act. That though. So also something I want to say about this: it's great that there was no like no origin, but it's more of the origin of Spider. It's more of the origin of 
Peter Parker as Spider-Man. Like, as he's like, starts out just being your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man, like, saving cats up trees and, like, stopping, like, bike robbers and things like mm-hmm. that. And there's this really funny scene where, like, he's trying to stop a car thief, and he's like, what, this is my car? And then there's, like, all these people yelling at him, and he's like, what, what? I thought it was... Oh. And then that's where you get your obligatory Stan Lee cameo in there. <laughs> Who's, like, one of the neighbours yelling. And then he gets more lines because, like, someone else yells at him. He's like, oh, hey, Stan. Or he's like, oh, hey, Barbara, how you going? How's your mother? <laughs> and that's all you see of Stan Lee in this movie. So thank goodness for that. Well, do they get the character right? Because I heard... Um, oh, yeah. Um, Spider-Man is supposed to be a very comedic kind of character that's always cracking jokes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they get that a fair bit, yeah, too. Like, so, Tobey Maguire didn't really do he that He didn't do lot. that that much. He did it occasionally. Mm. The only time I really remember that in... um. In the original Spider-Man trilogy, was when uh, it's in um, it's in Spider-Man Two, where there where um, Doc Ock robs the bank, and like um, Spider-Man goes in there, and like Doc Ock is throwing bags of money at him to try and like knock him out, and like he grabs one with his webs and swings it back, and he's like, "Here's your change," <laughs> like which is a dumb, silly joke, but yeah, but it's just, uh, it's charming mm. in a sense because it's like um, it's a comic book uh, adaptation in. And the in the comic Spider-Man comic especially had a lot of those um, jokes in there, so it's like it's not just a, like a cheesy joke, but sort of like a callback to the the comic as well. All right, yep. And so I just want to say, so just before I'll wrap it up for Spider-Man: Homecoming here. Mm-hmm. It's if you're a big fan of Spider-Man, like you'll love this regardless. Like I think it's probably the best. It, Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man we've seen on screen so far. I think it's pro- it's not as good as Spider-Man Two. I may put it up before the first Spider-Man, but I kind of love... Like, as much as I that movie does not really hold up, I still love that movie mm. because I was obsessed with Spider-Man as a kid. <laughs> and, like, that, I do have a very special place in my heart for that movie. But this movie is up there in one, as one of the best Spider-Man films. Mm. But just before um, we move on, I have to say, and spoilers, it's not really a spoiler, but I have to put it because it's a post credit scene. It doesn't really have anything to do with the film or, like, any future Marvel films, but because... It's a spoiler, I'm just because it's at the very end and people mm. will say that's a spoiler. Spoiler alert, you've been warned. So Spider-Man Homecoming has probably one of the greatest post-credit scene I have seen in a movie ever. It's I, I tweet if you follow me on Twitter, I tweeted um props to you, Marvel Studios, for trolling your entire audience at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming. Hashtag patience. I'll explain what that means. So at the very end, so actually Throughout the entire movie, because of, like, the Avengers and all this stuff, like, all this, the state is, like, mandated, like, uh, these instructional videos they show at school that Captain America's all over. <laughs> so, like, they're, they're watching one in, like, um, Peter's watching one in gym class where he's, like, talking, like, how he's saying, like, fitness is important, mm-hmm. it's, like, key, and all that kind of stuff. He's like, just listen to it. And, like, Hannibal Burris, which is a great cameo, like, he's a funny, really funny stand-up comedian, he's like, just listen to, it's like, do we really need to watch this? He's like, just listen to the damn tape, okay? It's state-mandated. <laughs> It's pretty funny. And so, at the very end, Captain America comes out. He's like, Hi, I'm Captain America. And I'm here to talk to you about a very important virtue. Patience. And I can't remember exactly what he says, but it's something along the lines of like, it is, Patience is a necessary virtue, but it doesn't always pay off. For example, you could be sitting down for ten minutes waiting for something to happen and then for nothing to show up. <laughs> <laughs> and, it may, and it may disappoint you greatly. Or something like that. And then he's like, how many more of these do we have to do? <laughs> and yeah, so... Oh, that's th- great. Yeah, it's amazing. So, there you go. So, Spider-Man Homecoming, definitely see it. I really enjoyed it. 
Do you reckon you'll be seeing it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we, we just chose to take a bite of the bit of a biscuit at the exact same time, and I realised that was probably not the smartest idea. Doesn't matter. This is going to be the most frustrating episode to listen to, I think. Maybe this is our own little uh, yeah. spin on the um, Spider-Man end of credits scene. Yeah. This, this might be like the day podcasting died. It's just two guys <laughs> just talking to a microphone, just talking absolute nonsense. And no one eating crackers. And they'll take this to the top linguists in the world, and they'll be like, yeah, I've got no idea what the fuck they're mm. saying. They'll get Amy Adams from Arrival, and she's like, no, I've got no fucking clue. These, I like to see... these alien Rorschach inkbots are more easy to comprehend <laughs> than these two fucking idiots talking. <laughs> or, or they try to, like, try to make a transcript of uh, <laughs> our, our podcast, and it's just like, it's not even English. It'll yeah. just be like, fucking hell, this English is so broken, it's like, it mandates, like, pasta, I don't know, um... I don't know, Latin language or something ridiculous yeah. like that. Oh, uh, well, just make sure we're still recording first. Um, so, next film I'm going to talk about is Yuna. So, what happened? So, this film is based off a play called Black Bird. Black Bird? Not Black Boyd. I'm not, I'm not like, from uh, Queens or anything or whatever. Like, I'm not from... He's a black boy up in that tree. <laughs> so it's based off this play, Blackbird, by John Harrower, I think, which was this play that apparently, um, if you were, if you listen to all the advertising of this film, the, adapted from the play that shocked the world. So mm. Yuna is about this woman named Yuna, who's played by Rooney Mara, who 15 years ago had was living... Her neighbour was a pedophile. And he basically spent a lot of time with her and like was one of his victims. And, like, he gets sentenced to whatever, like, I think he got six years or something like that in jail. Jeez. After that, you find this out, like, later in the film. But it's basically, what happens, she finds out, she tracks him down, finds out that he's changed his name, he has a whole new life, has a wife, has, like, a very high-up job in some, like, shipping firm or whatever. He, she goes to him while he's at work one day, and he's just like, what, who, how the fuck did you find me? What the hell are you doing here? And the film is pretty much just... Like, because the play is just set in one location, and it's just these two. Like, it's very dialogue-driven, this film. And the film itself is its a good movie. It's not a great movie. But, wow. Rooney Mara and Ben Mendelsohn as well, who plays the who plays the pedophile, who's uh, Ray, who changes him, his name to Pete. Because it's uh, adapted from a play stuck in mostly one location, I assume, for the direction of the film does it like fail to utilize like the conventions of film well oh no it does it does have a lot of flashbacks though mm. like a lot of the film is just Rooney Mara and uh, Ben Mendelsohn talking in the break room of this uh, of of like the place where he works at mm. but there they do for like because I did this at school it does use the medium this does use the specific mediums of film quite well mm. because I mean apart from which fences which was pretty much just the play filmed yeah which I didn't really have a problem with and like they were like oh no it's different because we're shooting them on the garbage truck just outside their house see <laughs> we're making it different no this film well it does we're removing the frame of reference well no this movie does do that because it does. Well, cut the flashbacks. It does cut the flashbacks quite a lot. Uh, at times where it is a little bit jarring, mm. but it does. It is fairly. Con- so, does... what the editing's not like great in terms of cutting the flashbacks. Well, no, it's not that it's bad. It's just uh, sometimes it's a little jarring. Like mm. they'll. I, I don't. I don't know if it's to show like symmetry between like the two. Or, like, to see how, like, their lives are, like, reconnected in this same way. So you think, like, the cuts 15 years well after. Out. 
I don't think it's anything wrong with the editing. I think it's just I found it a little bit jarring, like where we're here, and it's like, oh, you just cut to that, and then you just cut back. <laughs> okay. Yeah, as I said, Ben Mendelsohn, although I think this is a... Like, the play is Scottish, and it's never really... Uh, it's never really said where they are, but Rooney Mara does have a British accent on, but mm. and I'm pretty sure it is in Scotland, but I'm pretty sure... So Rooney Mara has a British accent, but Ben Mendelsohn still has his Australian accent. Maybe I thought that was possibly to cover up that he's like an like to cover up his identity. Yeah, I'm in from the, Austria, mate. Yeah, Chuck another shoot with the Barbie. <laughs> but in but even in the flashbacks, he still has his um he still has his Australian accent. So I don't know. But also another thing with this movie though, like and it does use the medium of film quite well, is that there's this subplot where like um well Riz Ahmed, who's a pretty good actor, like you've seen him in Nightcrawler, he's in mm. Rogue One, he's on that, he's really great on that um HBO series The Night of. He doesn't really have a lot to do in this movie, though. Mm. He's basically just wandering around the warehouse, just looking for Pete. <laughs> he, yeah, that's basically his entire role until, like, the last 20 minutes of the movie. But he's just walking around this big warehouse going, Pete! Pete, where are you? Pete! <laughs> Not really doing much. Does look good in high-vis, though, I'll say that. Mm. And also, another subplot of the film is, like, um, he's, like, the board is trying to get him to, like, uh, lay off a lot of staff... Mm. And he doesn't want to do that, and like the the chairman's like running after him, like because he 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 tells the truth to everyone, and like everyone gets pissed at him and at the board member, and the board members like and Ben Mendelsohn sees um, Una outside, and then like chases after her and like tries to explain more about them, mm. like more about what happened and like why he did it and all this kind of stuff, and yeah, so the, he he's chasing him through this where so Ben Mendelsohn's character has two people chasing him throughout this entire warehouse for most of the movie. And the movie is not great. It's good. And it has... It's... I, I think without... With... If it wasn't Rooney Mara and Ben Mendelsohn, I don't know if this movie would have worked. Mm. So, they put a lot of weight in the performances, I, mm. I, yeah. I assume. Yeah, it's very dialogue So, driven. does it look visually interesting or does it look a bit it's boring? All is that in this... why like, it doesn't feel like a, a great movie? I think... Uh, most or... of the thing is just in this giant warehouse. That's basically where the entire yeah, I guess movie takes so. place. I mean, it'd be hard to make a warehouse. I mean, nice, at I guess. the end there is a part. There is a party at the end where they both um, confront each other again, mm. and then that's that. That I thought was going to go on for a lot longer, but it didn't. And then it was just kind of cut to credits. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and as you may expect, this movie I think it's only 94 minutes long, but it is very, very slow paced. It's a very slow burn movie, and you do find out all these things about them. And you think and, it's worth the burn, though? Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the things, like, uh, like she tells this story about how she left him in, a, like, no, how he left her in a hotel room, like, to get some chocolate or whatever, and he said, like, I'll be right back. Mm. Didn't come back until, like, whatever, and she walks, like, trying to find him, walks, like, miles trying to find him, mm. and, like, she's like, you left me there, you fuckhead, like, I hate you. Mm. And then you hear his side of the story, like, he came back and she was gone, and he looked everywhere for her. Mm. So... Like, Ben Mendelsohn's a piece of shit in this movie, but it's kind of... Does the film do a good job of making you audience sympathise with it him? It does really sympathise with him, but then, like, it, as soon as... As an audience member, like, you have to snap out of it and be like, wait, wait, no, this guy's a fucking piece of shit. No, but, like, um, I guess it's just what the film wants to do, mate. Like, they, they'll cast him in, in a negative light, and then yeah. they'll try to work their way to make him look not as shit as he does. Yeah, but then you kind of hate him because he came off best... Like, after the thing, like, he's he's came out on top because of this. Like, Rooney Mara is still living in the same house where she lived when she was, like, 13. Mm. 
and Ben Mendelsohn's moved on. He's got a wife. He's got this really high position job, and he's making a lot of money. And he's having these fancy parties, which are Rooney Mara gate crashes at the end of the film. But yeah, I would. Def- this is a recommend. I still think like it's an interesting movie. Like it's worth watching just before the performances of uh, uh, Ben Mendelsohn and Rooney Mara. And if you want to see this, like it's in uh, limited release at the moment. Uh, it's been out for a little bit now, so it might be a little harder to find, but it's definitely worth seeing. So do you reckon you'll check it out? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, got, I, I caught him getting a biscuit again. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably check it out sometime. I don't know if I would be able to find it at the cinemas, so I might have to wait till yeah. it's DVD or something, yeah, or def- if it's on Netflix or something. I thought you were going to say Pirate Bay for a moment, and if you did, I was going to punch you. Uh, <laughs> Pirate Bay's pretty shit to use. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, okay, don't say any other ones. Okay, next up, a movie which should have came out a lot earlier than it should have. Like, this movie was getting a lot of awards buzz and even got nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards Mm. this year. Yet, somehow in Australia, we did not get this until June 1st. Because just before I get into this review, the film is 20th Century Women, by the way, but just before I get into this, I've mentioned how crap this uh, studio is in the past. Entertainment One Australia. Sort your shit out. Okay, look, you distribute really, really good movies, okay? You, at least you got La La Land on time. That's what I'm happy with. But seriously, what's going on? You have really, really good movies that you have distribution rights to, yet you don't release them until, what, March? Mm. Like, Loving came out in December and, like, November over in the US, but we had to wait till March to get it. <laughs> It's bullshit. And then John Wick 2, they had the distribu- distribution rights to it, and then they delayed it all the way till May, and then they were like, oh, yeah, now we're selling it. And then I think they got bought by... Uh, Studio Canal mm. bought distribution rights to Australia and uh, New Zealand for, um, uh, what do you call John it? Um, Summit Films, yeah. Mm. Summit and Liongate. And, which, and then with this movie as well, it's a bit ridiculous that we had to wait till June to see a movie where in most other places... that It's had, already available. It's already available on streaming and DVD and Blu-ray. And we and do you not think that this uh, stimulates piracy, E1? Because guess what? what? It Australia does. is a nation of movie parts. It's shit know. like this. Like, film hits the US cinemas, comes to our cinemas, I don't know, a week or two later... But then when it hits DVD, we have to wait like something like six to nine fucking yeah, months. There's, there's, so stupid. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, there is that arbitrary uh, period between DVD, like when it first comes out in the cinema and then on Blu-ray, which is like the 120 days, mm. like that really arbitrary time period from when it has to be released. Mm. But then also, like, they're not stopping. Like, A Monster Calls, which is a movie that came out, like, limited release because they tried to get Oscar buzz, like Oscar contention. Didn't quite. Mm. So I think it was released nationally in the US around January. And yet we don't get it until July, where it's already available on Blu-ray and uh, and streaming and all these other places. Like, a guy on, I follow on Instagram bought the UK Blu-ray just so he didn't have to go and... And what, wait for it? Yeah, yeah, he bought the, the That's Blu-ray. That's not a bad idea anyway. Yeah, well, the, uh, the same, same Blu-ray region. Yeah, well, the same region. 
So anyway, enough about it. Firstly, E1, sort your shit out. But two, you make good movies, so just bring them out earlier. I mean, please. You mean they get good movies? Yeah, you, you have just, the ro- you have distribution know. rights to good movies. Maybe they're just a Release bunch of Release them massacres. earlier, and you, won't, and you won't get people pirating them, okay? I think they're just a distribution company of massacres. They just they, <sighs> they, re- they know that they get good movies, and they're just like, oh, let's see how long uh, uh, the, they, the they, fans they, can wait. So they're uh, just like squeezing you by the balls. They must also get off on not making any money either. True. Alright, so anyway, 20th Century Women is the film that we were going to eventually get around to talking about. So, again, you haven't heard anything about this movie, have you? Mm. <laughs> Alright, yeah. Stop eating fucking biscuits, okay? Look, the bowl's empty now. Oh, you're going to lean over to my bowl next, no, aren't I still, you? I still have this box oh, here. Oh, goodness. Anyways, okay. um... 20th Century Women is the second film from filmmaker Mike Mills, who whose first film, Beginners was pretty much a movie about his father and like how his father had terminal like he found out that after his grandmother his mother died that his father was gay and also had terminal cancer and that was what beginners was about i haven't seen it but from all reports i've heard it is a fantastic and really really kind of emotional movie and 20th century women is if beginners was about his dad then 20th century women is a lot about his mother and so 20th century women is set in uh, santa barbara in 1979 and it's basically right in the middle of the counterculture mm. culture of the ni- of the late nineteen seventies in in America, and like so, punk music was starting to get big, like all these fe- like mm. all the fe- the rise of feminism, all these other things, and so Annette Benning, who has this, who is raising, <coughs> like, I can't remember if like her husband died or if she's divorced or something, but so she's raising this son, and she seems she doesn't understand how the world's working. And mm. like, uh, she she thinks that she's not she's what, failing uh, as a mother, or uh, kind of failing as a mother, and like a woman of an older time, and oh. like so she she employs yeah so she employs the help of like so she owns this big uh, kind of share house where she, where she and her son are living, and also Billy Crudup's living there, and Greta Gerwig is as well, and then also Elle Fanning, who's like uh, her son's best friend, like pops in and around and just. Uh, just hangs out with him a lot, and they're like, "There's, all right, I'll, I'll get more into that." So she basically uh, employ, like, kind of employs the help of Greta Gerwig and Elle Fanning to be like to introduce them to this new world, into this like counterculture, mm. and like try and r- not necessarily raise him, but like show them the new world that she can't show. Like, at him. least expose them to it. Yeah, and wow, this movie is pretty damn good, and fucking biscuits, really. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, keep going. I'll, I'll wait. Alright, yeah, you better. So, 20th Century Women, it is a really, really well-acted film. Like, uh, there was there was a few Globe nominations for this as well. Like, it did get yeah. Oscar nomination for screenplay, but... It, I heard it was quite critically well-received also. Yeah. Like, critics yeah. seemed to like it a lot. It, I did see it on a lot of uh, top uh, films of, uh, the, of 2016 last year, which I couldn't put in because... Uh, well, actually, you know what? Because they want us so shit, this will probably be because of um. I will put it in uh, yeah. Well, in twenty seventeen, it will probably get make it somewhere there. Um. Yeah, I was about to say like um, twentieth century um women looks quite interesting because um we've recently been getting a lot of these uh I don't know like uh, uh social justice warrior type films where they like really um beat shoot beat the audience over the head with the ideology twentieth mm. century women. I don't know if it's a feminist film or whatnot that wouldn't affect it at all, but it seems to be a lot more nuanced and subtle about 
um, mm. its approach to these kinds of things, or at least the uh, its outlook on the counterculture of the seventies, which is which looks quite nice. See, I, I'll probably watch it um, once. Is it already out? It, it, it um, came out June first on. Uh... Uh, in Australian cinemas, and it, the meaning because of the arbitrary 120 days rule, which I was yeah, saying shit. earlier, probably doesn't mean it will, like until late yeah. September or October. So but when I do get the but chance, if to you watch if it, you I want, to, will. or if you want to go online and have a look at a, if it's on, available on a blue on Blu-ray in the UK, by all means, have a look. Oh hell, I don't mind getting myself some uh, UK Blu-rays. They usually yeah. end up being a bit cheaper. Than yeah, and they, they, they have a lot of uh, interesting cover art as well. Oh, like, the yeah, cover definitely. art always looks a little bit. We always get the really shitty cover arts, like yeah. just a movie poster. But yeah, 20th century women look really interesting in that aspect, and also. Uh, visually, from footage I saw of the film, like the uh, color correction seems quite warm. Yeah, there is a lot. It looks of, quite nice. There is, yeah. It, well, it's California in the seventies yeah. as well, so it is quite. And I'm pretty sure they say that it's summertime as well, so you get like these nice warm kind of tan colors, like that mm. kind of flood the screen as well. And well, the colors like do they pop well? So they mm. seem like. And a lot of things that they do with colors, like there is a lot of like it definitely has a style. Like there is a lot of like in any other movie, as I said, kind of like with Baby Driver, would seem kind of gimmicky or like kind of like it wouldn't fit. Mm. But like there's a lot of moments in this movie where they would speed up footage and like it would do weird things with this color. Like as it speeds up, you would see like rainbow kind of reflecting oh, right. colors. Glitter. It should yeah, it shouldn't work, but it does. Like it it gives the film its own style, which I think thought was really really cool. That's cool. And also. It's kind of hard to call these movies performances because the people in the the, the characters in this movie feel like real people. And do they method act or no, not really method acting, but and it, well, that's and it, really that's really good where you get that authentic type of acting. Mm, it's very but good. Like uh, you didn't really like Manchester by Sea. You thought yeah, that that was really. that was too the um, Casey Affleck's or the performances overall were too. Uh, I thought his performance was very overrated. Yeah, you thought the performances were too uh, almost close too to life. Subtle, yeah. Yeah. No, no, not too close to life. It was or, just like he had nothing that like he looked bored. Casey mm. Affleck. Like um, that's that's the look of grief. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But w- w- let's not get into Manchester by the Sea. But 20th Century Women, all the performances, Annette Bening in this movie is just fantastic. She was, I mean, a lot of people thought that this year was a very weak category for um uh, best actress. I think. Well, maybe that's because Amy Adams mm. got snubbed, and there yeah. was no reason for Meryl Streep to be nominated. Yeah, maybe again, they just had the wrong. Actresses in the yeah the wrong category, and she does this really really well. Like the con- kind of just like the unawareness and like the sadness that she knows that she can't help her own son and she can't let she, mm. like she can't offer him what like she can't offer him like a normal childhood because she's so out of it. Like she has no idea about the whole the world she's living in. It's got, and also it's good to see Greta Gerwig in a movie that her husband didn't make. I just want to say that because, and she is really, really excellent in this film as well. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm glad she's not in a, no, like she's good in Noah Baumbach films, but that's just because you know they're married and she's mm. basically. I'm pretty sure that's in their vows. That they, <laughs> that, she that was in their wedding vows. It's like I will like, always be in your films. Film. Yeah. So there's that, and also as well, Elle Fanning. Like, she's. I mean, she's only she's my age, mm. and she's very, very good. I mean, she still has, like, this this youthful innocence to her, but yeah. she plays really, really mature characters. And even even in, in this, like, dinner scene where, like, she's there and, like, she's talking about, like, when she first got her period and when she lost her virginity at 14 and all this stuff at, like, mm. this dinner table, everyone's horrified, like, when they're hearing this. And 
Yeah, but she the way she comes across with saying all this kind of stuff though, and like all this really like it feels authentic. It doesn't feel yeah, it feels fake uh, or pretentious. it does not feel all fake. Yeah, because I could see another director doing a scene like that and just it just come across silly, maybe mm. like someone saying, "Oh yeah, I got my period this time." Then oh, I lost my virginity at this time. It was mm. it was amazing or whatever. That, sounding really stupid. I, I don't know if this was a stylistic thing as well, but like they would have an establishing shot of like, and it would have voiceover of two the two characters that were on screen talking, but you don't see their mouths move. Like it's just them sitting there, and but it's the voiceover of them talking, like and then it like the next cut it shows those two actually talking to each other, but in just this establishing shot, it's still those two characters like talking, oh, but right. their mouths aren't moving. It's just them sitting there. That's interesting. It's in- yeah. I'll, I'll so just... is it sort of like in? Implicating that they maybe these characters know each other so well that they might not even have to exchange words physically. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm. And also, I can't remember the name of the kid that um is uh is the son. It is the son. I'll get his name up in a moment. But God, like I haven't seen him in anything. But geez, he is going to get more stuff after this. He was very, very good. Yeah, it seems like Ella Fanning is quite the good um, up-and-coming actress. Yeah. She's, yeah, and you're not wrong about her doing mature roles. She was yep. in Neon Demon last oh, year. Oh, yeah, well... That was, that was a I love I loved role. the Neon... Yeah, the, she's excellent in the Neon Demon as mm. well. Like, until the I last... I wasn't a huge fan of Neon Demon. I loved it until I the last... I, I was loving it until the last 20 minutes where it just went full <laughs> it on... It just went full it on... It went full on Crazy Town. It just went full on uh, Wind and Ref and Sex Fantasy. Mm. Oh, I'm just a gorehound. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you reckon him and Lars von Trier just go to this weird... Just, they just watch each other's films and jerk each other off? <laughs> Probably. I've got a feeling they what, would. The, he would be like, ref, and he's just watching, I don't know, Antichrist. And then, yeah. then there's, uh, right next to him, there's Lars von Trier looking at a different projector, just watching yeah, the watching, and like, no. oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, watching the eye-gouging scene from no. fucking uh, Only God Forgives. Yeah, oh no, they probably... They probably just, uh... I bet they watch, like... Salo every month. Oh, like they just have monthly watch of Salo. It's like fingering each other's assholes. What <laughs> like happens in the movie? Oh wow! <laughs> uh, Lucas Jade Zuman is the kid who plays Jamie, who's the son, and yeah, he is fantastic in this film. But one kind of little thing that did bug me is some of the voiceover and. A lot of the voiceover does work, and like they kind of do at the end. They all say because it follows all of them, like at some point, and like they all have their own voiceover oh, at that's some nice. point. And but at about halfway, th- and it kind of says like what they did after, like at the end of the film, like where they went on to, and like how they li- lived the rest of their life. Mm. But then halfway through the film, there's voiceover of Annette Benning saying like, "Oh, I die in 1999. I prepared for Y2K and all this bullshit." I'm like. <laughs> Say this at the end. Why is this in the middle? I don't understand. Yeah, that's a bit and weird. they ended up doing it in at the end anyway. So I'm like, okay, oh, what wow. was what was the point that of that? Pointless. Yeah, I, I don't know. But the rest of this movie as well. Also, that's not, that's nice that they did you say that that um each character gets their own voiceover and it seems at like some the point film yeah just follows that character's uh, life uh, during the time. Yeah, so during like the... each character gets like a, a nice ba- spread. Yeah, it's basically and how they spend time with Jamie as well, like the character. Hmm. Yep. So like Elle Fanning introduces him to like all like what life is like. So that's nice that the that the um the side characters seem to get a lot of value and it's mm. not like very one sided that um, all the screen time goes to the protagonist and the yeah. the uh, 
the um, side characters are just there to fill the background, the negative space in the frame. Mm. But I will say, though, another, another, it's possibly a negative thing about this, but there is a lot of cigarette smoking in this movie. Mm, probably... That's probably in, staying true to the time, though. Yeah, I guess, but it, more than, I think, any other movie I've ever seen. I think. So, would well, that bother like, you? Because it, oh, well, is that just every, a moral thing maybe to do, like, smoking? Maybe. It's just because it was like everyone was fucking smoking. Mm. And it was just you, a little... You just want that one car... It, it got distracting smoke. at some point, though. Oh, that's not... And then they were like, oh, these, are, like, these cigarettes are healthier, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah, this, this is this is a... Uh, this will kill me slower. This, this is a, a vegan cigarette. <laughs> uh, it's gluten-free. <laughs> gluten-free cigarette. I'm sure <laughs> you can is, sell those this to This is hipsters. organic thermite. <laughs> oh. These are good for the environment. These don't make fossil fuels. <sighs> Yeah, so 20th century women, though, like, it's a very well acted, very, very well written. Like, this movie, uh, Manchester by. Now, this makes me pissed off that Manchester by the Sea won Best Original Screenplay. Oh, because I think like this, this movie was more deserving, I, th- I found. Well, I don't know, I can't argue with you because I haven't seen 20th century women, but I still like Manchester by Sea a lot. But I don't know, I mean, you could be right. Uh, I've lost the notes that I was going to do. Fuck, I'm going to do some extensive editing in this episode, aren't I? No, it's better when it's just a huge long take. Yeah, and that doesn't get people to bleed. This, this would be like, the earbuds out this of would be ears, our, This it? would be our rope. <laughs> this would be our... It's when Edward meets a rope. It's, and just, it's just 120 one... minutes of silence. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a one giant long take, but we couldn't be bothered doing more takes than just the one take. <laughs> well, we do have no budget, so... Well, we do have no that's... budget. <laughs> Alright, well, shit, we're nearly at an hour. Let's power through these last couple. Alright, so, last time I talked to you, I talked about a documentary called The Family, mm. which I found on DVD, by the way. Uh, so, if you can, if you, you said you wanted yeah. to watch it, so go check that out. And if you have, guys haven't watched it either, definitely check that out as well. But, so I watched another documentary called I Am Heath Ledger. Now, as you'd imagine from the title, this documentary basically is about the life of Heath Ledger. Mm. And it's really, really informative and kind of fascinating. Because I learned, like, everyone just knows Heath Ledger as, like, the Aussie heartthrob that kind of took Hollywood by storm. Mm. And then, as everyone also knows, his very tragic death in back in almost ten years ago now. Yeah. But when, the, yeah, Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, yeah, well, it was just tragic when he um, died, uh, when he did his uh, performance and what was it? Oh, no, he, had, he did a film after he did, uh, um, Dark He was Night. halfway through um, the Terry Gilliam movie, um, yeah. The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Yeah, that was really unfortunate because um, what was it? Uh, didn't he get? He got nominated for uh, an Oscar for he he won posthumous he won posthumously for the Joker in the Dark mm, Knight. Yeah, so it, oh, he would have got it even if he was still alive anyway. I would have mm. thought. So, I am Heath Ledger really delves into the life of of Heath, and I learned a lot about him that I had no idea about. But I'm not quite sure if a lot of this was common. Like a lot of it was common knowledge. Like. I had speaking of Manchester by the Sea. I had no idea that he was married to Michelle Williams. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't and know they had that a child either. together as well, too. Hmm. So yeah, I had no idea about that because they. I think they met on the set of Brokeback Mountain, which interesting way to find a wife. Hey, yeah, I, I reckon. Oh, that, 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 that guy over there is playing a gay cowboy. That really turns mm. me on. <laughs> yeah. So it was in that, and then also just like when he first came over to Hollywood, and like he heard about because his fir- his first big role was Ten Things I Hate About You. And, like, I remember his agent, like, his former agents talking about, like, how he heard about this movie and, like, he was looking at the parts that he could possibly play. And he's like, I like I like the role of Patrick. He's like, 
yeah, that's the lead. And he's like, that's the lead. And he's like, I know, I'm going for the lead. And he's like, you really think that you can get it? Mm. And then he's like, he comes back to me a couple of days later. And it's like, I got the role of Patrick. And then from there, like his star, his stardom just rose and rose and rose and rose. Yeah, it really did. And and then he even did come back to Australia and make movies down back here as well. Mm. Like um, what do you call it? Um, the Ned Kelly movie. Yeah. Like that was I. I've only seen bits of that, but he's very very good in that. Like the clips that I've seen. He's a very good actor overall. He was he's an like, extremely um, good actor. He was an actor with range. Um, it was able to pull off all these roles. I find, like um. He, he sort of reminds me of like um, I don't know why, but like Jared Leto in a sense, but like oh, Heath Ledger's a superior version. Like that's what Jared Leto wants to be, Heath Ledger. Mm. And well, then, that was obvious. And it's the, obviously, um, you've um, got the Joker connection there. Yeah, but... the Joker. Obviously, Jared Leto hasn't surpassed him because his Joker role is mm. terrible, and I find him a bit pretentious. But um, I don't yeah. find that to be the case with Heath, Heath Ledger. He seems no. I haven't seen this documentary, but um, from what I've uh, seen of him in interviews, he seemed like a very genuine, uh, good guy. Mm. Oh well, I, I don't know if I've told you about this before, like off like, off the podcast, but I'll, I'll say it here as well. Uh, he had he basically owned this house in Hollywood that, like, if you're an Australian in Hollywood, you could just go crash. Like, if you're an Australian actor in Hollywood, you could just go be, go to his place and crash there, nice. and he'd be completely fine with it. Like, you've got there's like interviews with like um with Ben Mendelsohn and like Naomi Watts and like saying like how they spent like they they went there a lot and like they saw people there for like month people were there for like months on end, <laughs> even if Heath wasn't there, even if Heath was like somewhere shooting a film, there was always someone in that house. That's awesome. Yeah, he's a, he really brings that kind of like larrikin-y kind of good bloke uh, kind of nature. Yeah, that kind but, of top top bloke. Yeah, the <laughs> the true Australian values mm. that they all have. But it's kind of bone chilling because there's in, they show like that there's a lot of like B roll of Heath in this film, and like something I didn't know is that he filmed everything. Like he nearly always had a camera with him. And he was actually... I think I heard about that in the documentary. He was quite a really, really... Like, he was a visionary. Like, he'd do, like, really interesting things. Like, he'd always... Like, they showed things of, like, him taking photos and, like, changing the colour grading and, like, scratching bits out of a picture. Mm. And it was really, really cool, like, the stuff that he turned out. And also that, like, he was going... He directed, like, a bunch of music videos as well. I did. mm, Yeah. Like, which ones? Uh, nothing I don't think you would have heard of, but, like, I might show you after the podcast, but he's right. directed a lot of uh, music vid- He directed quite a few music videos as well, and they were really, really well done. Like, they're quite surrealist, I'd say. Sort of like, of um, Chris Cunningham, maybe? I don't know who that is. Oh, well, um, he's a guy that, uh, done a few music videos. His music videos, uh, tend to be quite surreal and strange. Okay. He did a bunch of, uh, I think he did a few for Bjork. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's weird. Mm. Yeah, but then also back to what I was saying about this movie being kind of chilling is that there's audio of like Heath Ledger, like when I think it was just before Dr. Parnass, it was like in an interview, and it was someone interviewing like him about the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, mm. and he was saying, like, so I've just finished doing the. It's like, so what will you be doing next? What, what's your plan for doing something next? And he basically said, well, I've just finished The Dark Knight. That was really stressful. And then I'm going to keep doing this. And then I'm going to do this movie. And then I'm going to go- drop dead for about a year because I'll be so exhausted from this. <laughs> so, Jeez. and that's just... Mm. 
Oh, I know. It's didn't even it's didn't horrible to think about. Yeah, I know. And also, like, there's there's an interview with like one of his best mates who like he did a music video for. Like, he's a musician. I can't remember. He looks exactly like Guy Sebastian, but he's not Guy Sebastian. Mm. He um Maybe basically. I don't know. But he basically said that, like, he remembers Heath coming up to him or, like, calling him or whatever. He's like, mate, I don't think I'm going to be around much longer. I really don't. Like, and he was looking at, like, like the 27 Club, like, all these really famous people that, like, have, that died at the age of 27. And he's like, look, I'm, I'm the same age as all these people now. Like, I don't know. I might be joining them. I don't know if I'll be around much longer. Which is... Disheartening, It's, it's very disheartening and kind of... Not That's necessarily creepy. It's very... I can't find the right word for it. It is gloomy. Mm. It's yeah, it's bone chilling that like that's that actually happened. Mm. That uh. that's what that's that was his thought process before he died. Like he like he knew it was coming. Was, I yeah. Like, do you think do you think he was feeling suicidal? It doesn't sound like he was feeling suicidal. Well, the, everyone in the more... documentary says that like after he played the Joker, he was the happiest he had ever been in his entire life. Jeez. Like he wanted everyone to see him as did the he... Joker. I, this might sound kind of strange, but did he have any sort of chronic disease or problem at the time? Mm, I don't think so. No, it, it was he, he died from drugs. Yeah, he died of a uh, he uh, he OD'd, mm. and then it's also like right at the end, it's his like it's the death of Heath at the end, and it's basically all of his friends and all of his family like getting phone calls and like turning on the news and basically saying that the the whole world knew about his loss before they did. Jeez. And that's just something I can't imagine mm. and how how horrifying that must be. Yeah, game. how traumatizing that would be. Yeah, it's a real shame that Oh, he is a like I, I I really liked him as an actor, but like this movie just saw me saw him I saw him from a complete other perspective and made me appreciate his work even more. And all that stuff you mentioned about him playing around with the camera, like he could have been a, oh, a he, great cinematographer, or he could have directed uh, probably well, feature length films. He was going to direct a feature length film because something else that um, you definitely wouldn't have picked about Heath Ledger is that he loved chess. Did he? He was a huge fan of chess, and that he was going to make a film about like one of like the, the chess champion. Yeah, I can't remember what his name was, but it was like someone who's really, really f- like famous mm. in the world of chess. He was going to make like a biopic about him. Oh, that's cool. And yeah, it never it never happened, which is a massive shame. That is a massive shame. Honestly. Like, like you may cry at the end of this movie. I hell, I was holding back tears. I didn't quite do it, but it's. Yeah, it's a really, really emotional film, and that's something what a really good documentary can do. Hmm. Yeah, definitely see this movie. Like, it came... It had a very limited theatrical release, Well, like a lot of the movies I've talked about today, hmm. but I, I reckon this will be one, like... I think it was made by Spike TV, I'm pretty sure, hmm. this documentary, so... it. I mean, Spike TV is basically like MTV on cocaine, but... I mean, it was a really made, well-made documentary, and if you get a chance to see it, definitely watch it. Especially if you're a fan of Heath, like if you if you were a fan of Heath's work, then it is a must-watch. All right, now you have some films you want to talk about that you have watched recently. Yeah, so I don't know why, but I was, seemed interested in watching the the Quatsy trilogy, which I did. Okay, so I had no idea what this was, so I'm, I'm not quite sure if some of my audience will either. So would you be able to explain exactly what the Quatsy Quatsy or right. Quatsy trilogy? Quatsy, I'm pretty sure. I'm having a look. It's spelled Q A. It's yeah. Actually, I'm pretty sure the the names in um some sort of I don't know Aztec language or something like that. Like the the opening image um 
of uh, Korean Squatsy, I'm pretty sure is some kind of Aztec painting, cave uh, painting of some sort. So, um, the Quatsi trilogy is uh, just a series of films that have a look at some aspect of the world or human life. And um, Koyon Squatsi is a uh, film about uh, American life. It's all it's set in America, the, the whole film. And it's, it's sort of uh, having a look at how human life is strange... Um, has strayed far away from what it once was back when uh, humans were more tribal or nomadic and life was more simpler, it was a more hunter-gatherer type of deal. With, um, the film is a, gives a really expansive look on how humans have advanced uh, on a technological basis, like with the, the weaponry and how, how humans can mass-produce so much uh, food and just appliances just to service everyone how it's just on, on a crazy scale Jeez. oh it's it's great it just it shows you it just shows you how cars are being made on the um on, on the, the factory con- line on, like the on, the, on the conveyor belt and and, and it shows the same with um i'm pretty sure f- with food being made as well oh, okay. it's quite crazy gives us an in-depth look of uh um what it's like working in a factory or how the factory works and it sort of shows how um uh, modern day human society works like a big machine that um we go at the pace of the uh, conveyor belt really and it and um it shows how uh there's some segments where it shows weaponry blowing up buildings and then it will cut then it cuts to the you know the showing the city life of course and then it ends up showing all these buildings i don't remember which city it is um i'm pretty sure it'd be a city somewhere close to the desert it's not uh-huh. Las Vegas. I don't remember which American city it was. But um, it was showing all these empty buildings, all these empty apartment buildings, which is just crazy on um, on the outskirts of the city. Mm. And, and are they just, like, kind of abandoned? Or are they yeah, just... they're, they're abandoned. They, like, they, they're just still, the, the solid structure of the building's just there. They're just, there's no one inside. And, and of course, the inside um, would probably be shit, but, like, like uh, complaining about a homeless problem. What about refurbishing those buildings mm, and putting people exactly. in there? And um, yeah, so the film has uses these really interesting like speed up, slow down techniques when it's uh, it like shows how life, modern day life, is so fast paced by speeding up footage of cars driving on on a highway, and it, it also shows that um, uh, human life doesn't actually have a stop. Not like animals where like a nocturnal animal sleep during the day humans they they never sleep like showing footage night and day of uh cars just on the highway consistently driving which is um it's just crazy jeez so would this is there a lot of i'm guessing because there's a lot of the listeners that don't know this is kind of they're all documentaries yeah yeah they're like sort of weird pseudo documentary experimental films and there is no narrator there's no there's no narrator actually like the the only word spoken in coins in all of them is just the the title of the the oh, film okay. um oh yeah it was just a t- yeah that's the base of the title is just chanted through um throughout all the films oh okay um although the last one used a lot of stock footage that's the one that I didn't really like. Oh, okay. um, it was like eighty percent stock footage. Um, it seemed to be lazily made. Right. The second one was quite interesting, very similar to Queen Squatsy, but it 
had a look at a uh, third world life and um how it's a struggle for those people okay. living in impoverished uh, conditions. But uh, Coin Squatsy, I I really recommend. That's I think it's a must watch. It's amazing. Okay, well um, I'll, I'll need to get around it then. Yeah. Um. There's there's so much more I can talk about it, but yeah. Yeah, we're like, on a tight schedule here. Yeah, but, I guess we're on a tight schedule. But just before that, it's like, is there like it seems that there will be a lot of sim symbolism in this movie. There's quite a lot of symbolism, like uh, like um, as I said, like it would show footage, um, night day footage that sped up of uh, cars on a highway, which is supposed to be like a metaphor of uh, a city that never sleeps. Ah, uh, okay. Um, or just uh. Or people as a whole just don't actually. We don't have a time of day where we sleep like animals. Like we're just strained so mm. far from a from traditional how we originally started off as a species. That we've evolved so much technologically and biologically. That's just um, it's just baffling. And um, the the movie the the title Coyote Squatsy, which is which translate to English from um, I think Hopi language. Okay, where, where is he, that from? Like, um, like... I think it's as is some kind of Aztecan language. Oh, okay, translates to life out of balance. So that's that's the the overall idea of the film, and um, it's interesting. There's a, another segment where um, where we get to see footage of people um, walking uh, down a street, and no one seems to be like you know making contact with each other. Everyone's just in their own bubble. Oh, kind of like invo- what everyone is like today. Yeah, like everyone is like today. Like everyone's headphones in or they're just... Everyone's engulfed their own, in their own life. The only people that are taking notice of everyone else are like either the elderly or the homeless hmm. who, who seem like they want a hand. And it has that... Um, and this is a film that has that iconic shot of like the woman staring out the window. She winds up her window and then it's the reflection of the um, uh, World Trade Center. I mean, before oh. it was blown oh, yeah. up, of course. Okay, okay, because this was made in eighty-two. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just interesting enough to just watch this film and just to see how things are like at eighty-two, oh. and just to see how similar things are today. And yeah, to see the similarities and the massive, massive differences, yeah. that would be really it's sort cool. of like prophetic, really, in a sense. And oh, there was something I was just about to ask about that. Oh, did you want me to segue to uh, oh, yeah, Samsara well, and Baraka? I was going to say, like, a lot of those movies sound very similar to yeah, Samsara and Baraka. These it, are the films that inspired Samsara and Baraka. Oh, those good. are spiritual successes to um, the Quatsi trilogy. Okay. Mm. So do you think there'll be another film? Like, do you think there'll be an unofficial trilogy with Baraka and Samsara? Um, I think there probably would be a third, unless there oh, already is. Um, just... Maybe Kronos might be... Tied in with Baraka and Samson. I don't think so, though. So, hold on. I just remember what I was about to say. I can only imagine, like, audiences in 1982 watching... Uh, what, 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 yeah. What again? Koyon Squatsy. Koyon Watching this. Like, a lot of them would probably be like... What's what the, the fuck yeah, is, what is this? <laughs> like, I remember, like, a similar movie. I remember watching Baraka in, like... Uh, not, not the Mortal Kombat character, but the movie that... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That Eric uh, yeah, said was like a spiritual the sequel to a cinematographer uh, Qu- of the Quatsy trilogy. Quint Quatsy? Yeah, Quint Quatsy. Okay, that, that's a tongue twister. <laughs> as I told Eric... Uh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing yeah. it correctly. A- or, as I, I told so. Eric at the start of the show, it sounds like a vocal warm-up for like an actor yeah. or like before they go on stage. Quint Quatsy, Quint Quatsy, Quint Quatsy. Hmm. But anyway, 
I remember watching, yeah, Baraka in like year eight geography or something. Mm. It might have been year seven. I can't remember. But I remember watching, like, yeah, watching it for a bit. And then everyone in our class was like, so room full of 14, 13 and 14 year olds watching this really kind of meditation on yeah. nature and life. Mm. And they're like, someone speak. <laughs> oh, and like, God. where's the story? I'm like, oh. Total, the point just flew right over yeah. their heads. <laughs> Definitely. So do you want to get in, quickly get into Baraka yeah. and Samsara? Well, Baraka and Samsara... Um, as we already stated, spiritual successes. So they they're very very similar in the way uh, the Quatsi films were made, uh, more so the um, the first two. I was gonna say they, they would have taken a long time to make. They do take a long time to make. I heard. Um, I don't know if it was Braco, but it took five six years worth of uh, shooting. Yeah, well, there was like fifteen. They had to go around the world. Yeah. Well, there was like uh, nearly twenty years between Baraka and Samsara, wasn't there? Yeah, and um. So, Baraka, I, I don't remember the translation of the title, but I'm pretty sure it had something to do with the spiritual journey that some, that one person takes on throughout oh, okay. their life. Not, so giant, that's, not giant toothed monster that wants to kill no, you? No, not a giant. Fatalities? Yeah. Uh. No, um, yeah, so Baraka, the, the film sort of is just showing this, like, uh, showing a look on religion as a whole, like, um, starts off with. Uh, monks in Nepal, um, I think. Mm. They don't um, state where they are. It's just like yeah. guesses. Uh, yeah. It starts off having a look at Buddhists who are meditating, and then from there on... And, the only and then... part I can remember from Baraka was like they go to the tri- a tribe in like Papua New Guinea or somewhere. Yeah, and, and they're doing a, like some kind of... Ritual. Yeah, some chanting ritual. It's like some kind of like corroboree kind of uh, mm. kind of a ritual, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's that. And also, actually, midpoint in Baraka, it's sort of... Um, uh, has a look at um, sort of like kind of squatsy uh, modern day life, and um, sort of has a look at how uh, Western, more Westernized countries, they sort of uh, separated or broke away from religion, and it shows us. Oh shit! That's the phone. Sorry about that, listeners. Uh, we had a bit of a disturbance there with yeah. a phone call, but I think we should be good now. So, mm-hmm. Baraka, what were you saying about it? Yeah, if you sure, can remember. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was talking something about um, something that happened in the middle of the film, about the middle, where there was uh, where the film was uh, showing how um, modern society or westernized society, at least, has forgotten has forgotten about a uh, religion or was just sort of completely disconnected themselves from religion because there's a, a scene or a shot of a um, a, a monk of some sort. Um, walking down a street, doing a sort of ritual, I think chanting to himself, and people just walking past and not taking notice of him, like they ever they've completely removed religion from their lives or just completely ignored it. Then the film goes to third world countries, where people are dependent on their faith. Faith is what gets them through the day, and they're always uh, shown to be in prayer, even in their like dire. Uh, situation, life situations, and even shows there's this beautiful scene where they um send people off afloat on on a burning boat, which is like a funeral. Uh, alive or oh no, dead. Oh, dead I was gonna dead. say it's a. Uh, it's like a Viking I was, funeral. I was about to say yeah, it's like a Viking funeral. So yeah, um, Braca is a is a very visually interesting film, 
And uh, like uh, Kyan's Quatsy or the Quatsy trilogy, it lacks dialogue. So <laughs> if you're not, if you're one of those people who get annoyed with that um, at a film that doesn't have any dialogue or uh, traditional narrative, then this probably probably isn't for you. Just like the Quatsy trilogy. Yeah, well, you like films that don't that tend not to have much dialogue though, because the Red Turtle was your favorite movie. Oh last yeah. Year, so I, I tend to tend speaking to of like which, it. where's that DVD release? Yeah, true. Where be... is that DVD release? I don't know. I mean, I'd love to get my hand. See, I might have to buy a Blu-ray of Blue Turtle. <laughs> uh, red, fuck, Red Turtle. Blue Turtle. I might have to buy a red ray of Blue Turtle somewhere red, else. Red. Probably have to uh, buy from. I'm pretty sure it's available in Britain already. So oh, I think it, it definitely would be. It, 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 I, might, I think I've even... seen it, um, like uh, Region B copies of it, and I was so tempted to buy. I was like, shit, I gotta get that. And I don't know if it's uh, coming out on. Uh... On Blu-ray here, I think it's just DVD. Oh, that's shit though. Yeah, so, I don't it's a know. beautiful film. Anyway, uh, well. uh, finish off. Uh, All right, these uh, experimental pseudo documentaries off with the uh, uh, sequel to Baraka Samsara, which I thought was a was a more um, visually interesting film to Baraka, although this this film sort of tends to meander a bit in a sense. The um, overall uh, uh, metaphor of this film or um, idea is um, the cycle of life, and it's really interesting because there's an opening where there are some um, some monks. Um, I'm pretty sure they're Buddhist monks. They're uh, making this sort of like mural on like the um, on a cycle of death. I think connected with the Buddhist faith. And they're doing this with, like, powder. It's really interesting. They pour powder over it, and then, um, you know, they sort of neaten it all up like an artwork. And then the film, the, the camera floats off to somewhere else. And then the film takes a look at, like, lots of, I don't know, aspects of life. It even look, has a look at like, robots, uh, how uh, humans are getting close to making their own form of life, in a sense, that's uh, not biological. And uh, Sam Sara finishes off with um, the uh, this mural these Buddhists are uh, making. They end up just like because it's made with dust, they end up just blowing it away. So it's sort of like this practice that they I think they do um, just I don't know daily or weekly is make this cycle of life uh, mural, and then they just destroy it. And uh, there's also interesting um, or beautiful scenes of. Uh, people christening their children and um there's this a uh, nice scene of like i think it was a maybe a cartel member of a of a um mexican cartel who's got all these tats and stuff but he's got this little child that he's um that he's uh caring like nurturing for in his arms it's, it's really nice it's like it's a strange juxtaposition because you, you would expect a tattooed cartel member to be i don't know doing something aggressive and violent but he's doing something that's the complete opposite of that with his child. So yeah, Samsara's, um, if you like Baraka, I would recommend uh, Samsara as well. It's it's pretty much a sequel to Samsara, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's a sequel to, it's like, yeah, it is a sequel to um, Samsara. I mean, sequel. Baraka. Oh, Baraka, Baraka a... sorry. S- S- Samsara... Samsara is a sequel to um, Baraka, this yeah. This is going to be unlistenable, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, Although some people um, were annoyed that they found Samsara to be a bit too similar to Baraka. I, f- I found oh, that um, right. Samsara was more... Because it does have a lot of those uh, 
what some like to call nature porn shots. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Coin Squats <clears throat> he did the nature porn shots the best because they did like really cool time lapsing and all that with um with their shots. Anyway, um, Samsara is it's very similar because it's directed by the and cinematography is done by the same guy. Except I found that Samsara Samsara sort of elevates its uh, cinematography and uh, imagery from um a um Baraka. So yeah. All right, good stuff. That's my uh, take on those strange pseudo uh, documentary slash experimental films. Slash meditations on life. Meditations That a lot of people call them. No dialogue. All right, so it's a segment that I like, yet I haven't done a lot on this podcast. Uh, It is the Aussie movie of the month. Australia. I don't know. I I need, like, intro music to this or something. I should, yeah. just get, I should just get, if I have a guest on, I should just get them to go, Straya. <laughs> Straya, or maybe like before you do this, you have like a soundboard and you press a button yeah. and it plays like something for like, I don't know, like a, for, for football, like sirens yeah. or something like that. I could just have like that uh, DJ thing just going, mm. <laughs> that'd be funny. So, I haven't done this for quite a while, so I've got some catching up to do, so... I'll be doing my Oz movie of the month for May and June. I know it's July and I need one for July, but I'll be getting around to that later. So, so far with my Oz movies of the month, I have done... For January, I had Dave Forsyth's Down Under. For February, I had the Academy Award nominated and should have been Academy Award winning Lion. For March, I had I had Jasper Jones, which is a very good film, and I need to get around to buying that because it just came out on Blu-ray. And then April, I had the documentary The Family, which I mentioned in this episode previous. And that one for May, I'm going to be talking about is Neil Triffitt's Emo the Musical. Now, I'm guessing you haven't heard anything about this at all. Unfortunately, I haven't. I mean, the the title sounds interesting. Nice. So, Emo the Musical is based off the short a short film that Neil Triffitt made, and it it premiered at Melbourne at MIF last year, Melbourne International Film Festival, and it got pretty good praise, like well, not very good praise actually, I should say. And so it was released in May of this year, um, na- nationally. Um, just looking at the IMDb page, so, so far there are only ninety three reviews for it. Jeez, on IMDb, yeah. So. This film's basically about a boy named Ethan who who's an who's a wannabe emo. <laughs> he, but he's in this private school, and well, he gets kicked out of a private school because he uh, he tries to hang himself in the in in the playground. Jesus. <laughs> so he gets he gets expelled and fails. He uh, gets um, gets expelled from that school and has to go to this pie. Has to go into the public school system. Ooh. Oh, scary! But at least there, there are emos. But then, but then, this movie is kind of a, a classic slobs versus snobs battle because he goes in with the emo, like Ethan goes with the emos and tries to make friends with them. But because they're emos, they're just like, oh, yeah, we, just like, we don't fuck off, man. Yeah, I fuck just off. Care we about don't my care. Pain. <laughs> oh, but and because as from the title, this is a musical, so that they and there's this nice. big battle of the bands coming up that the emo band want to do really well at, and he. He auditions for them, because I think he plays either bass or guitar, I'm not exactly sure. And the song he sings is like, I don't care if you like this song! It's like, really... <laughs> that's basically the words of it, and it's just... It, it's sat- it's satirising, like, emo culture, definitely. Like, no, that's no, quite good. Mm, it, but it doesn't ever, like... 
Like, it satirises it, but it doesn't... It's not more, insulting. It's not like, oh, cut, 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 cut. Yeah, it's not none of that stuff, no. And also, like, a lot of the... But then also, um, there's... Because there's a new person in school, mm. there's the youth group that's at the school. Oh, no. They want to get... They, they want, because they're so nice, they all want to be friends with... They want to be friends with everyone. He's like, no, bugger off. But then the girl from the youth group starts to fall in love with Ethan, and Trinity, her name... No... <laughs> A religious girl named Trim- Trinity. How original. But anyway. <laughs> so Does she the side of the cross a lot? So she starts to like him and he uh, likes her but doesn't want to admit it. And because, like, the emos find out that, like, these two may like each other. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, and then because... And both of these factions, they really hate each other. Yeah, so, so it is a slobs like... versus snobs battle. This it sounds sort of like Romeo and Juliet-esque, in a sense. Yeah, it, it is a little bit, because... Well, no, none of them die at the end. Yeah. But So what happens, but then, because the the youth group hate the emos, and the emos hate the youth group, uh, to, for the youth group to get back at the emos, they join in the Battle of the Bands, too. <laughs> and so what happens Basic is Christian that, Rock. So, yeah, so it's those two going up against each other, like, preparing for this big... Uh, this big, uh, the Battle of the Bands, but then these two, Ethan and Trinity, are like start to form a relationship and start to see each other, see each other in, in secret. And this is a really, really fun Australian film. Like, it reminded me of a goth sing street in a way. <laughs> That's what I think this movie. And you like really, you can, really enjoyed. Sing I really, really My did like sing street. sing street. Yeah, that's a great movie, and this is kind of. Sadly, the songs in this aren't quite as memorable as they were in Sing Street, which is a little disappointing. Like, I can't really remember a lot of the songs. Uh, the only one I really remember is because they play it so many times, and it's stupidly catchy, and it's just the one that the youth group sings, like, all the time in the film. It's just, come to church, come to church, come to church with me. It's all that. It's basically that. And they sing that in, like, the Battle of the Bands, too. But really good performances from young Australian actors that I haven't really seen much of before. Especially um, Benson Jack Anthony, who plays uh, who plays Ethan. He is really, really good. I think he's on that show 800 Words that's on Channel 7. And, oh, yeah. But, yeah, he's really good. Like, he brings, like, he wants... He's a good... He's a, such a good wannabe emo. Like, he's just... His character is just someone that doesn't fit in anywhere. <laughs> And, like, you can really relate to anywhere, that. anywhere, but you want to fit somewhere. Mm, yeah. And it, what makes it really funny, and as well, um, Jordan Hare, who plays Twin- Trinity, she's really, really good. And, oh, that's just remem- another thing I remember, because she starts to... She's at, like, her youth group, and she's, like... I can't remember. It's, it, it's a youth group, but it looks more like an AA meeting, honestly. <laughs> so they're sitting in this, and then, like, she's... Because I think she and Ethan might have broken up at this point. She starts singing, of, like, and, like, what if Jesus was an emo... And what? it's incredible, like and but think about it. Like she see, mm. draws up all these parallels of like, what if Jesus was an emo? Mm. And but honestly, the guy That's that nice link. Mm, but honestly, the person who steals this show and like this may be like a bit biased because um one of my mates at uni is like best friends with this bloke, but Rahat Adams, who you may have noticed from uh, if you watch that ABC three series Nowhere Boys, he was one of the guys on that, which I've recently watched and I really enjoyed that series, even though it's. It's meant, it's meant for kids, and it does its job really well, and it's a lot of fun. Well, I had but some re- friends that were uh, um, they were reminiscing about, uh, what was the show, The Tribe? The uh, Tribe ABC yeah. show. Oh, not Escape from movie. Scorpion Island or something like no, that? No, no, it? it's, called the, it's oh. called The Tribe, and it was like a post-apocalypse uh, series set in oh, America, okay. but everyone 
a like weird Kiwi and Australian <laughs> accent. It was really funny. All right, yeah. But this guy, Rahat Adams, who plays, oh, I think I can't remember the name of his character, but he plays like the leader of the emo band. I'll get I'll get his character up at the moment, right now. His character's name is Brad. Bradley is the name of his character. He plays the leader of the emo band. And my god, he plays a brilliant psychopath. Like, this guy is just... Like, he has no sympathy for anybody in this. Not like, don't you don't get... If you get in his way, like, you're screwed. Like, if yeah, you get right. on his back... You def- this is a guy you do definitely don't want to get on your bad side. He's going to knife you for sure. Yeah, he'll, he'll He's cu- not going to threaten to knife you. Yeah. Knife he- you. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the humour, like, it does take, it does take a stab at, like, emo culture, but it also takes a stab at, like, really, really, uh, and especially because, um, but it kind of embraces it, because Mm. at this new school, like, the teacher who's, like, one, who's the girl from McLeod's Daughters, like, this is, this is, this show is just, like, Aussie TV showcase, this movie. (laughs) And so, she's basically like, oh, this pharmaceutical company is now sponsoring this school, and because they want all schools to be happy, so they're giving everyone at this school a free antidepressants. <laughs> and that's everywhere. Like, the antidepressants, like, everywhere. They're everywhere in this movie. Like, they mm. just... It's kind of like a running gag. Mm. Like, they, all, they there's always someone's like, oh, you're feeling upset. And this is this some fictional Yeah, it's like, this is not a... This is, and because they don't want the emos there, because it's like, this is not a happy school. Like, you're making this an unhappy mm. school because the emos are there. Oh... And there, there are just a lot of these great little subplots as well. And someone in the Christian band is also gay, and he just doesn't want. And he, he uses electric. He shocks himself every time, and because he has a boyfriend at the school, and like he hates to admit it. Every time, basically, he has that. He shocks himself, and uh, and basically, one of the guys there is like, just go to conversion ther- conversion therapy, and all this kind of stuff. Oh God. And I mean, I shouldn't be laughing at it, but it's kind of funny. But it's I kind of it's, it's it's touching it's just, as well. It's not like. It's not like the, the the film's just making light. Yeah, the of the film's making like, fun of it, and <laughs> it's not like mm. uh, and it does show suggesting like suggesting that yeah, gays should be converted. Yeah, or anything like, that, like that, that that persistence of like Christian of like to be Christian in like this cult. Mm. Um, not, not really that, but like the pressure of like cri- that Christians always put on other people. Like when uh, Trinity in the film finds out that Ethan hasn't been baptized, she's like, "What? Oh my god!" And like. She tries to like when she when he's asleep because like they're she starting to thing. Yeah, she tries him. to oh, baptize him. Oh, because then at the end, like he gets kicked out of the emo band. What happened was she there with the Hollywood and there's the priest. And she's like, no, it's like she's in a pool. The... Like they're just oh. swimming. Like they're, they're swimming around. Him. Yeah, she's like, swimming jump. around in a pool. She gets like a little cup and then does a prayer. And he's like, "What the hell are you doing?" He's like, "I'm gonna baptize you." Like, "No, no, no, no!" And just runs off. It's like, oh, it's really great. But then, like, there's the she's all that moment where you find out that um. That uh, he's been that they find out that they're together, and then like neither side want them either of them to be on each on, on the band, and then um, he finds out that oh, something happens, and like uh, he joins the the what's his face? He joins the Christian band, right? He joins the, the Christian Agnes. band. Yeah, he's like, let me help you out because like I think one of their I think their guitarist, I think something happened to him, and so he's like, oh. Let let me play for you. Let me play for you guys. And she's like, only if you let me baptize you. <laughs> and he eventually gives in, which surprisingly for an emo doesn't burst into flames. But <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, yeah. But this is a really fun movie, and like I, I really want to watch this again because it has. It was a while since I've seen it, and I'm just p- picking out bullet points with this, and it's a really really fun film. On the other end, my June Oz movie of the month is. 
the, if Emo the Musical was a little light-hearted, fun little romp, mm. this movie is terrifyingly scary and just uh, really, really unsettling. So my June Aussie movie of the month is Hounds of Love. Now, you've heard a little bit about this I've heard film. a bit about this film. So what happens is there's this girl named Vicky who... It's set in the 80s in Perth, and I think 1987 in the summer... And she, on because she sneaks out of her mum's place to go to a party at like the middle of the night, and then these two people who are played by I think it's Emma Booth and Steve and Steve Curry, not the basketballer. That's <laughs> he's probably like oh Stephen Curry's what Stephen Curry's in this? No, he's this very he's like a Australian character actor that's been in a lot of things and like he's in Smith Chips ads at the moment. So <laughs> which so these two abduct this little girl. And it's what happens there. It's well, from there. Teenage. Yeah, this teenage yeah. chick. Uh, that and then she starts to realise that these two are out of their fucking minds, <laughs> and that uh, he is. But then they they realise like the dynamic. She realises that the dynamic between these two is really really fucking messed up, mm. and that like it he's very t- one sided. It's like, very one sided. Yeah. De- oh, for sure. And. This movie is unsettling as hell. Like, this movie, it got a lot of... Um, it actually came out... Surprisingly, for an Australian movie, this actually came out in the UK and the US before it came out in Australia. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, well, I think it premiered at um, uh, South... It was either South by Southwest or um, Toronto. Mm. I, think, I think it might have played at both, but like it got very, very, very good reviews there. And can I just say, the standout in this movie, Stephen Curry... I mean, Dale. It's it's hard to see Dale Kerrigan from the castle, as <laughs> as a psychopathic serial killer. It's mm. just and a serial rapist as well, mm. as you see in this movie. He is just oh, he's completely unhinged. His performance it's so unhinged and it's so just oh, he is just bone chilling in this movie. Like his just like his line delivery, like just his physical performance as well, like the way he moves and like the way and even the way he just interacts with his wife, who someone that he clearly loves. Mm. Yeah, it's I've just, seen a bit of that in the trailer. It's whew, he like is his fantastic. Wife, his wife seem she doesn't seem to approve of this uh um sort of strange little uh yeah, sexual she... fantasy that they have going on, and she wants mm. out, and and uh, the uh, husband, of course, doesn't want none of that, and just uh, keeps it all going. Yeah, I will say though, um, even though it's called Hounds of Love, and there are dogs on this poster, <laughs> this is not a movie for dog lovers. Okay, mm. do if you love dogs, which I'm assuming is most people, but if you can, uh, if you can't handle a dog if you can't handle in, if you can't handle uh, Dale Kerrigan from the castle kicking a dog to death, yeah, then maybe style. don't watch this movie. Uh, yeah, that that scene goes on for quite a while too, and it's it's tough to get through. Like this whole movie, it's not pleasant to sit mm. through. God, it's a well-made movie though. It's I don't like, know. I don't know how rewatchable it is. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, the rewatchability, but is it good enough on the first? Oh, like? definitely, mm. definitely. And the kid that pl- the girl that plays um, uh, Vicky in the film, uh, I think it's either I think Ashley Cumming is her name. Mm. She does a like for someone that is really like in this situation. 
and, she, and she just is perfect at like being this terrified like has no idea what she like why she's here or like what they're gonna she, do to her so, so she she really plays the the victim well mm. well and she's actually kind of smart too like there are a few things that are introduced before she gets kidnapped that get reworked into it later oh, like no, she I... tries to write to her boyfriend or to her mum to tell her where she is because like she spots like the mail that mm. they have like the, the mail that they collect oh, and gets right. the address but then you find out later in the movie they're just stealing everyone's mail so that they're, <laughs> they're confused like and even if she knows what they're doing like she oh god yeah and like, it and, sort of reminds me of uh, Stephen King shorts are like misery in a sense. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like that. Yeah, and except it's not like it's not the captor isn't obsessed uh, with the uh, with the victim as in the terms of them being like a famous. She is a little. So. I guess she kind of does get a little bit obsessed because mm. I think well because um, Steve Curry starts to pay a lot more attention. Yeah, to her. I can see that. In the and because I think she's a he lot... like neglects the wife she, and she mm, gets jealous. And she is so and like she's obviously very very jealous of like her youth and her beauty mm. and all this and yeah and wow I mean yeah and it's very very tough to sit through and. I'm surprised, like, this this scene that would work, like, it does feel... I'm surprised that this scene kind of works. Like, mm. a lot of people would kind of find this, like... It should... It sounds like something that would be out of an Adam Sandler movie, but, like, in the situation, it works. Right. Like, right when Stephen Curry is about to rape Vicky, what happens is that, as basically as a defense mechanism, she shits herself. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. I know, but, like, it seems... It at sounds first, stupid, you're like, but it's, if you think about it, it would probably yeah, work, because the guy's... Probably doesn't want to bang her after she shits herself. Yeah, exactly. Jesus. Sounds yeah. really tough. Mm, and the entire climax of this scene, like, it does... Even though, because the climax is, like... A big subplot in this film is, like, her mother, like, in trying to... Like, with the police trying to find where her daughter is. Mm. And then at the end, she finds out, the deli- like, the, the address... But it's one of the fake addresses because they've been stealing oh. all their neighbours' mail. And she's, like, out front of their neighbours' house screaming, Where's my daughter? Mm. And, like, the, the last ten minutes is basically the mum screaming, Vicky! Vicky, where are you? Vicky! <laughs> Which does get a little bit grating and annoying. But the part where, like, it's basically, like, because Vicky can hear her mother screaming. Yeah, and you just see nowhere she You is. just see Emma Booth there, like, holding her mouth shut while, like, Steve Curry is going out there. And she, like, Emma Booth is just like, Shut the fuck up. You don't mm. fucking say a word. Mm. And, yeah, it's... Intense, spe- yeah. The last, the last act of this film is really intense. Mm, this, so you say this would be like another great, like Australian dark or gritty, yeah. um, crime thriller. I guess I, I would kind of. Um, did you ever see that movie, The Loved Ones? No. It's like um, this this guy uh, rejected this girl as a prom date, and then like she oh, gets revenge on him. Yeah, D- doesn't she? It do reminds something, me. Like, she drills something in the guy. It reminds chest. me a lot of that movie. Like it might even be, some people might even be in, like in that that were in that. I'm not sure. I, I don't us, think it was the same director. Aussies. Because it was directed by a guy named Ben Young, and I'm not quite sure if he's uh, done a whole lot. I'll just bring up his IMDb right now. Yeah, Hounds of Love is. He only has more of an actor. One he, of he's his... oh, this is interesting. He's done. He's directed four episodes of Prank Patrol. <laughs> no, nice. Well, no, so he's mainly a TV... We're going to kidnap someone now. <laughs> so he's mainly a uh, he's mainly a television director, as I can tell. <coughs> and Hounds of Love is his first feature film. Oh. And 
Well, yeah, what, a, what a debut. That. And he rewrote it, didn't he, too, what? the director? Yeah, he wrote it as well, yeah. Mm. It's a very, very captivating film. I guess this really solidifies the, the whole... Uh, mm. Uh, don't ever hitch a ride in Australia. Yeah, Otherwise it's a very stranger danger kind of thing. And the the film does use like it does have a lot of stylistic things like the, the like kind of the not really a cold open, but like you see, like I would have rather at, when I first saw this, I'm like I would have rather it just start with Vicky being like escape like. Like Vicky, escape. V- Vicky and her mother arguing like, can't I go to this party, oh. whatever. But before that, you see like one kidnapping before that. Like, like there, there's John, who is Stephen Curry's character. He's like staking mm. out like these kids playing, ne- these girls playing netball. Oh, jeez. And this, this entire scene's in like, it's slow pan and it's in slow motion. It looks really, really good. Mm. And but then you, like... What, do you think it was unnecessary? Well, it just... Well... I, I guess it does... But then she... But then you find out the girl that they pick up because, like, they see her walking home from netball training, and then they just stop behind. And it's like, "Hey, girl, uh, uh, hey, girl, that sounds that's mm. very, very rapey." It's like, "Oh, hey, darling, you need a lift or something like that." Mm. And then she goes in, and then it's like, "Yeah," and then it cuts to what's, his, and then I think it cuts to like a missing persons photo or something, or like because that's later mm. incorporated. That I guess so that was th- that's them just trying to like get mm. the uh, the antagonist, like his character, um, all done in the opening. Mm, yeah, and also like something that horror and thriller movies really need to do well is sound design mm. and this movie does that really well was well, it really realistic sounding or was it like sort of impressionistic where like oh well a lot of it is just like the levels of like loud. or the, they ch- fill around with levels of volume yeah they fill around with levels of volume so like mm. sometimes the screams will go from muted and then to higher up again mm. like and, and like there's one where like there's the door like there's a slow-mo thing of like I think where Steve Curry's about to like go in and probably mm. possibly beat the shit out of Vicky, and he closes the door behind it, him, and it's in slow motion. And you just hear the screaming, but then as soon as the door you shuts, don't hear it just yeah, you don't hear. Oh, I don't know if it was anything, but you definitely hear it's a lot quieter, like almost mm. kind of muffled. Like you can just hear it, maybe. Mm. Yeah, jeez. But yeah, Hounds of Love. It's a tough watch, but it is well worth sitting through. It is. I do want to see it again, like, uh, to see if it does have replay value, and because mm. Stephen Curry in this movie is fucking fantastic, so is Emma Booth as well. Like, those two, the chemistry that they have on screen, when, like, they probably, usually with films like this, these are probably the most fun to make, because you can just, I mean, you're playing, they're playing psychopaths, yeah. and, like, they even say, like, their characters go back from when they were, like, teenagers and things like that. Gee. So, yeah, Hounds of Love, you definitely... If you oh, had yeah, a chance... Yeah, I seem pretty interested. Yeah, I'll try not to reveal spoilers or anything like that. But... Well, you kind of already did, but that's not Oh, well, I, I didn't say what happens right at the very end, though. Okay. I didn't say the fate of any of the characters or anything All right. like that. All right. Uh, I think that's... Well, do you want to do a little bonus where we... Oh, yes, where we talk about a, a shit movie I've recently seen. All right. Well, there are a few, but I guess I'll be talking about my most recent. All right. Well, the classic. I reckon we Plan can. Nine. I reckon we stop this episode here and we do a special little bonus where we're just talking about Clout Plan, Plan nine. nine. I reckon yeah. that'd be pretty cool. All right. All right. So we'll just end this one here. Thank you very much for listening, guys. That is the end of this episode. Thanks very much for Eric Tisha for coming on my podcast. It's always been a, a pleasure, ple- as always. It's always a pleasure to have him on. Never wants to plug anything, so I'll just get straight into my plugs. Yep. He is he is the spiritual co-host of this podcast, and whenever you want to be on. Um, Whenever you can be on, that'll be fine. Hell, what? I mean, we could do a podcast over Skype. Yeah, once I figure out how to do Please. that, that would be perfect. 
Alright, so subscribe to us on iTunes. You can you can give us a lot you can give us a rating, a five star review, that would be good. That would get me up the rankings. We're also on SoundCloud, you can follow me there and give this a like if you enjoyed this episode, which I'm hoping you did, even though this is unlistenable. Even it's like a choppy mess. Yeah. <laughs> We're just trying to mimic the works of such great directors like Michael Bay. Yeah. Yeah, this this podcast is ending with a giant uh, explosion. Yes. <laughs> That, um, insert stocks explosion sound here. Yeah, but then and, th- and then that comes up while um uh, Von Trier and uh, Winding Refn are circle jerking each other, circle and they just see they, they each just other see they, they yeah, but then they just see a Michael Bay explosion. It's like what the fuck is that? Fuck, that just ruined my wank. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. All right. Yeah. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud or wherever you listen to this. That would be awesome. Uh, we are now on Twitter. So ABM, it's. Because another bloody movie podcast is too long for a Twitter handle, we are now at a b movie podcast. I am also on Twitter at Sean Hub underscore. That is s yeah. It's it, it gets a laugh nearly every time. That is s e a n h u b underscore s e a n h u b underscore at Sean Hub is also my Instagram account, and another bloody movie podcast is also on uh, Instagram at another bloody movie pod. And if you uh, you can hit us up on Gmail at anotherbuddymoviepod at gmail.com and you can also like our Facebook page, which is Another Bunny Movie Podcast. You like that, don't you, Eric? Yeah. And you're a, you're a very loyal listener? Yeah. When, sort of, whenever when you're I, when on? I'm, yeah. You only when listen I do to, listen to things. Yeah, good stuff. All right, thanks again for Eric Tisha for being on the program. No problem. All right, and thank you everyone out there in the world for listening to this and we'll see you later.